Welcome to Refocus, a podcast that helps you find your focus to build a thriving creative career in the music industry. I'm your host, Rosalind Dennett. Hello and welcome to Refocus. Our guest today is Chris Cool. Since falling in love with the sound of folk and early country music at the age of 17, you could loosely divide Chris Cool's 30-year career as a full-time musician into three eras. 10 years as a street and subway busker, 10 years playing bluegrass residencies around Toronto's bar scene, and 10 years touring internationally both solo and with the likes of the Lonesome East String Band, the David Francie Band, and the Foggy Hogtown Boys. In that time, he's become known as a leading voice on the Clawhammer-style banjo. This has led to playing as a collaborator, sideman, or producer on over 200 recordings, including John Reichman, Natalie McMaster, Ben Winship, and Sylvia Tyson. Chris is a sought-after teacher of both banjo guitar and songwriting at workshops and festivals across Canada, the US, and Europe. He's also produced a popular series of online workshops, as well as an instructional DVD. Welcome, Chris. How you doing? I'm doing great, Ross. Nice to see you. So our topic today is marketing, which I feel like is not something you and I have talked about before, but it's something I've been really interested in hearing a little bit of your journey on. I follow your recent emergence onto social media, and you have what I personally consider to be one of the best email marketing newsletters that is out there. And you've been from the pandemic and onward have been like a very impactful presence online. So my first question to you would be, was there a shift during the pandemic for you and how you decided to interact with your audience and, and your your community. Well, thanks for having me to talk about this. It's funny. I was thinking about this this morning, and it's nice that you asked me because I don't think of myself as being especially good at what you're wanting to talk to me about. And I think other people might relate to that. I don't think any of us think that we're all that good at that stuff, and it's very awkward. Of course, it's not why we got into playing music in the first place, but it's a reality. So I just thought that was interesting. So yeah, my gigs dried up, and I had to find another way to sort of make my way in music. I was really lucky on a number of different levels during the pandemic. I was really set up in a way that I don't think a lot of people were. Partly where I was in my career, I've been doing this, I'm 50 now, I just turned 50, and I've been doing this full-time since I got out of high school, so over 30 years now. So I was fairly well-known already sort of in my little world. I've been, been just sort of keeping at it for a long time. I was also fairly well known as a teacher. I've always taught, like I've been teaching since I was 20 years old. And I had been teaching online for five or six years before the pandemic started. And just some things like I literally just updated all my computer stuff because I'd got into video editing the year before. Or just I realized I wanted to get into that. And so I just bought like a really good desktop computer with a good monitor and thinking I was going to be doing more video editing, you know, better mics and better speakers and everything. And the pandemic happened and I was sort of ready to roll. I'd already had an ethernet cable into my computer. So I was like, I knew I had really fast internet. I knew how to teach online. I was all set up for it. I had a good camera. And 
I know so many great musicians that are like maybe in their 20s who are sort of just starting out, but because they just haven't put in as much time and just sort of rambled around as much and exposed themselves to people teaching at camps and everything, people didn't know them as teachers, so they didn't know to seek them out. But I, I sort of got sought out to some degree, and I also put myself out there. Then the other weird thing that changed, and again, this happened the month before, in February 2020, I joined social media for the first time in my entire life. I'd never had a Facebook account and I'd never had an Instagram account ever. And I had been for about the year before that, I'd sort of taken over working on Lonesome Aces page. And that was my introduction to social media. So I had been sort of slowly doing it. And at that point, after working on the Lonesome Ace social media stuff, I realized, oh, I realized what it was. I didn't really get it before. And I was like, I I really can't not be doing this at this point, I've waited long enough. And by that point, not having social media was like not having a telephone in the 70s or something. It just didn't make any sense anymore. So I joined. And then obviously, we all know what happened a month later. I wanted to ask you specifically about that, because I feel like you and Frank Evans were like the last two holdouts on earth that didn't have social media. I don't know if it was a coordinated effort or coincidence. I started before him and then I remember talking to him and being like, look, dude, you sort of have to do this. (laughs) I remember that first post. I'm like, cool, just broke the internet. He's on it. He's up here now. (laughs) But you really did like emerge onto social media with grace and poise and intelligence in a way that it was nice to, to see your take on how to approach social media. Well, thank you. Again, I felt, I feel like I was in a good place the way I came into it because I wasn't unaware of it. Like I'd heard people talking about it and I knew what the pitfalls, one of the main reasons that I'd never been on it wasn't like I was too cool for school. It was sort of the opposite. I was always afraid. I know what my ego's like. And I was afraid that it would just suck up too much of my time and potentially not, I wasn't really afraid that it would bring up like some dark side in me or anything, but just sort of like become too important to me. Mm-hmm. And I just, just didn't want to go there. Well, it's usually high up on people's list of things to quit quite often right. now where folks are saying, oh, I, I'm giving up social media for Lent or my news resolution is to spend less time on it. So I can see why for someone like you who does so much and you're creating all the time, that it's kind of like a scary possible thing that can distract you from the work that you're doing. Did you wrestle with it at all or did it seem... No, because the time I joined, I, I like I would have been screwed. Like it was my total connection. Like it became my job instantly. Like the next month, it was like oh, everything I was doing. I mean, I do have a have an email list, but I really I wasn't active on my email list at that time. It's a funny thing. I started an email list back in like the early two thousands. Me and Aaron Marshall sort of had a had an email list that we'd started building and it was a good one and I and I built it over the years. And I remember sometime in around early two thousand tens or something, I remember the roommate I, I lived with, I'd sent out an email to my email list and he was like, Oh man, it's hilarious. You still use an email list. Everything's on Facebook now. Like email lists aren't really a thing anymore. And I'd sort of like when he told me that I sort of took it to heart, but I wasn't ready to join Facebook, but I sort of gave up on my email list for a good long time. And like, I'd send the odd thing out, but like up to then I would put out a monthly email for a long time, but I'd actually sort of stopped. And then when I got into social media, I started listening to a lot of podcasts about being an independent musician. Like there's that 
a CD baby. He's got a very good podcast. It's great. And, you know, I started listening to that because I, I sort of wanted to get caught up on how it worked. Now, I mean, I knew how to do gigs. I knew how to play. I was always promoting myself. Like a big part of being a musician is promoting yourself. So I, I was always into making posters and like I, I got into to using Photoshop pretty early just so I could be more in control of my own sort of image. So I was ready for that aspect of it. What made you then do that pivot back to email marketing? Well, because I, I'd heard at like after about a year of being so focused on social media, I started listening and all the sort of gurus in that world were like, build an email list. You have to build an email list because social media changes and you don't have any control over your audience on social media. It's great when it's working, but it can change and it could change at any time. The example they always give is TikTok. It's like TikTok's awesome. I don't personally do TikTok, but TikTok's great if you're good at it and if you're using it. But like we're seeing right now, TikTok could be gone. That could be outlawed in North America. And then all your TikTok fans are gone. So like the whole thing, the, the I was surprised, but the whole mantra was like, build an email list, build an email list. I was like, oh, I've been doing that since like 20 years. I've been doing that and I still had it. So I started building it again and I started doing this, getting back into the the monthly email thing. And I try to only send one email out a month. I'm sort of religious about that. So it just happens once and I'm not like overwhelming them with things. Although that's not the strategy that, that if you listen to a lot of the, again, the sort of the movers and shakers in that sort of independent musician self-marketing thing, they'll tell you, it's like, oh, you should be sending an email out like every week and like tell them about everything. But you have to do all this stuff in a way that, that feels right to you. Yeah. Knowing your audience and imagining what your ideal email reader is going to be feeling at the time and what works for you. Like the neat thing about your newsletter is that it has a lot of components to it which I find really fun. Can you please tell the listeners about From the Horse's Mouth? (laughs) (laughs) Well, I have a lot of, as I say, I've been a teacher for a long time. So a lot of people on my email list are, there's a lot of banjo players on there, like people who've taken classes from me over the years or workshops and whatnot. So one thing I wanted to do, and obviously you can't just always be asking for things. So realistically, everybody knows that you are just self-promoting and ultimately wanting to sell people stuff, but there has to be some reason for them to sort of beyond just wanting to know where you play and wanting to know what you were selling them that month. It's nice to have something. And one thing I thought I could give was at least I could like do a tab and a video for all the banjo players out there who, who might be interested. So once a month, I arrange a tune, it's usually a traditional tune, and I do a tablature and talk a little bit about the tune. But on the video <laughs> that I record, I wear a horse's mask. And I don't have a especially good reason for doing that. I just thought it would be funny. And I don't know, make it a little bit, I don't know. I, I like things to be weird. I just sort of dig it. So I wear this horse's mask. So I call it straight from the horse's mouth. And it's just like this sort of once a month thing. And I think people get a kick out of it. It's a little weird. And when you're teaching, it's tricky because like you're in this position of like you're the expert and you got to make sure that doesn't go to your head. And I think maybe wearing the horse's head is a good way of showing the people that I'm not really taking myself all that seriously. I think that's a really important point that I'll just echo about giving back because, you know, like we have product to sell, we have tickets to sell, we have check out this, check out that. And it's, it's really great to 
have identified that this is a thing that you can give back to your audience and community and have that kind of two-way transaction there. I don't recommend everyone go and buy a horse mask right now. Find your own thing. But, you know, if you're going to take anything, that's a great thing to keep in mind is is how you can also give something, you know, whatever that looks like for you. Could it be different for different people? But also, I think, I mean, that's, that's sort of common knowledge too. Mm-hmm. That's sort of basics, internet stuff. So, it's like we all know that. So I think you have to be really extra when you're doing something to, to sort of give your audience something back. It's really easy for them to see through it if it's hollow, right? Mm-hmm. Like if it's shallow and you're just giving to get, which I mean, there is an element to that. I mean, we are ultimately doing a job, but just try to be creative about it, I guess, so that it doesn't just seem like it's totally obvious that all you're doing is checking a box that says, only ask 10% of the time on your, you know, you don't want it to look like that. In your newsletter, you also get fairly personal as well. You're not just all business. And I think that there's like a little vulnerability or something like that in there as well. That's like authentic. And I think that it's neat touch that not a whole lot of folks do. Maybe they save that for social media or something. I'm not sure. But is that something that, that you think about? It's not something I think about, I th- I, but I think I'm so, I sort of like, I've, I've been working with the book, The Artist's Way recently. And I'm not sure whether it's exactly for me, but I've been doing the morning pages thing. And it's hilarious because it's like a therapy session. <laughs> I'm just writing about myself for like three pages every morning. And anyways, I think that's reflected in my music in general. Like I'm pretty comfortable with sharing stuff in my music. And I don't know, I'm pretty used to being open with stuff like that. So I don't think about like, I never really thought specifically about the email list being personal, but I guess maybe it is. But that's just the way I sort of roll. Speaking of the email list, I should give a shout out to Banzoogle. I've been using them because they're involved in sort of another thing I did over the pandemic. But Banzoogle, that's what that's the website service I use, and they're based in Canada. And their email function is great for being able to format really nice-looking emails and with graphics and hyperlinks and all that type of thing. What was the campaign you were just talking about that you did with them over the pandemic? Well, so one of the things I did, I mean, beyond I've, I've been doing teaching private lessons forever, but then I started doing group workshops and I started doing these group workshops over Zoom and they were going really well. I had, I had really good attendance and it was, I would do one about every couple months and they were sort of my main thing financially, which what was keeping me sort of afloat at the time. And the cool thing was I was able to, after I would do the workshop, I'd put a fair amount of time into doing like a, there was a visual like workshop, but then I would sort of write a booklet for the workshop. So I sort of had this product basically at the end of it, like I had this, this recorded workshop plus some tablature books and like some written stuff and some other videos. It's really easy to sell stuff like that's my one of my favorite things about Banzoogle is how easy they make it to sell your music and in this case your merchandise so I was able to basically every time I did one of these workshops it was really quite accessible for me to put it up as a piece of merchandise on my website so I have now 13 of them that are for sale and they're essentially like 13 courses that people can buy the interface is super easy for them to buy it and that was really helpful and i never would have done that had i not been forced through the pandemic to sort of think outside the box a little bit i mean it's great that bands will provided the tool especially since they don't take a commission which is just awesome they hit some like just amazing number recently i can't remember what it was but it was like 
a hundred million or something in sales for for artists, like just for the artists mm-hmm. and that they take no commission on. So yeah, I think that that's a really generous move that they didn't yeah. necessarily have to do. That creates some good faith with, with all us music folks and neat that you were able to kind of maximize in like a slightly unconventional Yes, lots of people were teaching online. Yes, lots of people are selling merch online. But I think that that idea of doing the like modules in the way that, that you did is is maybe you weren't the first one to think of it, but it was certainly a creative way, I think, to use the Banzoogle tools that were there. You've put out a, a ton of really different types of video. Just the locations alone, you had a whole series on in the canoe, or is it canoe or a boat? It was, it was a boat. It was a boat. <laughs> the most recent one was three guys in a, in a church. I'm going to say it wrong, but... It's called three men playing old-time music in a rather chilly 13th century church <laughs> in England. Rolls right off the tongue. Like yeah. yeah. But you've also kind of produced your own kind of fancy-looking kind of official videos for your songs as well. Are you doing all of this yourself, or are you working with, with the team when you're doing this? Uh, no, never a team. The videos that you see that look really professional and the camera work is like, that's Andrew Collins, who's one of my oldest friends and bandmate. He also got into doing video at around the same time. And he got to the point where he saw almost like, well, he is like a professional videographer now. I just got to the point where I can edit and take video for myself. But some of those videos, yeah, I've done, I've definitely like, I love editing video actually. And I've definitely, some of the videos that I've done for my own songs have been myself, but he's done, I think he's done three or four for me. Has that been helpful? You're putting out a lot of stuff. Is it a conscious thing? Do you have like a schedule? Over COVID, me and John Showman, who I play with, we were doing a video every week. Every Friday, we'd put a video out and we sort of had it really scheduled. Then we, when we started touring last February again, it got really hard to keep up with that schedule. And we just sort of, I got back to booking again and it was just like, I couldn't keep up. We're trying to do that again now because we've got an album coming out in the fall. So we're trying to do that. It was really helpful putting those fiddle and banjo videos at at every Friday. It was like, as when we got back on the road, so many people came up to us and like, Hey, we heard about you from, we watched those videos every Friday. I think the trick is, I mean, again, this is really mostly stuff I've picked up from listening to the experts, quote unquote, is consistency. So if you listen to some people, they'll tell you, oh, you have to be like doing stories like at least once a day and you've got to be posting three or four times a week. And that might be true for some people, but that's not going to feel right for everybody. But try to get on some sort of consistency. I'm out of it and you'll fall out of it. I'm, I'm out of, I'm just getting myself sort of back into a flow for it. And I, I was sort of out of it for about six months. I was very inconsistent. And for me, that looks like maybe one thing a week, like for maybe a couple things on Instagram, but I try to get a video every week that works for me. And I also love like the thing, one of the things I loved about getting into doing that, it forces me to work up new material. And that was definitely tricky over COVID to like, just get yourself sort of revved up to be constantly working on new stuff that was helpful for that. And I still find it, I still find that's a, that's a nice sort of side aspect of it. So that's a nice thing. Cause if you're only putting out like maybe one or two things a week, if you sort of try to get the quality a little bit higher, that means you can force yourself to sort of work on your craft, which is mm. music. And that can be sort of a nice positive side to it. 
Yeah, that's finding that balance is, I think, something that folks can struggle with between the creative and maybe like the expectation. <laughs> and somewhere in between is like what feels is the path of least resistance somewhere in there. When you hear from the experts that are saying, yeah, post every day, do more, do more, be out there, be, be engaging all the time. Maybe there's guilt. I don't know what the word is where you kind of feel like, oh, I have to be doing more. I have to be doing more, which some folks can need you to kind of creating some bullshit content that's not yeah i mean i I think that's i'm sort of in a place right now where i'm i'm just trying to figure out where i stand on it because Mm -hmm. like i mean it is sort of a type of pollution at a certain point Mm -hmm. some of the crap that you see and it's like it but it does work because like i see bands that are posting constantly and i look and i'm like oh that's like it's really like nothing that they've done but i still looked at it and they're still on my mind and that's sort of what advertising is and essentially that maybe is all social media is anymore anyways but yeah it's 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 hard to hard to figure it out because like on on one hand you want to be there but just the haze of social media is a bit of a problem in our society and you don't want to start becoming part of that problem right again it's all a delicate balance balance points can be different for everybody but I like that you brought creativity into it and kind of used it as a spark or as an excuse maybe to like do something creative. Yeah, I feel like that. I, I haven't figured it out yet, but that's for me, if I ever do figure it out, that's going to be a big component of it. And that has been up to now too, is just try to make it artistic. So mm-hmm. you still feel, even though you're doing this stuff, you still feel like it's an extension of yourself as an artist in whatever way. It doesn't, not, you know, as music, but also maybe visually. And all we're doing as artists is trying to let people know who we are, right? And so that's sort of, you can imagine how that can tie into it as well. Do you have any final thoughts or any nuggets that we haven't unearthed of some thoughts that you've had around this topic? My motto has always been just keep trying. <laughs> Me and my friend Ivan Rosenberg, that was a sort of an ongoing joke. It's like so you, often you just keep putting stuff out and sometimes it feels like it's not going anywhere, but you just got to keep trying and don't quit. Keep trying and don't quit. That's like the secret to music. <laughs> <laughs> Tell me a little bit about where people can find you if they're interested in in checking out your newsletter. How can they sign up? The aforementioned newsletter, you can sign up on my website, which is just chriscool.com. C-O-O-L-E, like the weather with an E, as my father liked to say. You can sign up for the website there and find out about my gigs. I mostly tour with a band called Lonesome Ace String Band, which I will be in about half an hour getting in a van and driving around with them for two weeks. So yeah, that's where to find me. And I I do still teach some amount of private lessons, although I teach about maybe six days a a month or something. So I do that. And then I also do the workshops. And then I also teach at actual real workshops around different camps and stuff like that. Fantastic. And we'll link to all the stuff that you mentioned in the notes and good luck on the road there. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for being here, Chris. Thanks, Ross. Great to see you. That's it for this episode of Refocus. Please subscribe, rate, and review on the podcast app of your choice so you never miss an episode. For more information, you can visit us at folkmusicontario.org and follow us on social media at Folk Music Ontario. This Refocus session is brought to you through the generous support of the Department of Canadian Heritage.